ministries and then declare prophets over here. I mean, numerous things of that nature, and yet somehow they are revered. And I'm glad to see that they made another space shot yesterday with a handful of people and this 10-minute space shot for half a mil or whatever it costs to take that ride up into space, which is just barely space. I wouldn't count that. But anyway, that's what they do. And, I, and I'm reminded of that. You know, I saw this thing yesterday and I go, wow, Jeremiah 50, 51, Babylon, though you should ascend to the heavens little statement that's made in there. I'm going to bring you down. Well, this Babylon was a golden cup in the hand of the Lord, placed there by the will of God, beautiful opportunities for this nation, and instead has turned it on narcissistic, self-indulgent behavior. It says, in fact, these rich of the last days, that they're involved in all kinds of, of different uh, schemes and all kinds of, of uh, lurid details. We find that even going on now with the, the trial of a woman who helped uh, instigate and continue on with with uh, uh, child porn and, and uh, minors and pedophilia and those type of things. And and we also find out that wasn't the first time. It just became well known. Verse 7 says, therefore be patient. Makrathameo is the word patience toward people. This is verse 7. Until the coming of the Lord, the parousia. And I love the word. Asia means to be, is alongside of, to be, to exist. Para means alongside. Literally, that word coming of the Lord is to be alongside. It can refer to the rapture or to the second advent. In this context, it would be the second advent. But it says, Behold, pay attention. The farmer waits. Ekdekomai uh, is to wait with a purpose. You know why you're waiting. You're not just waiting. For the precious produce of the soil, being patient about it until it gets the early and late rains. Now, the early rains is the, the rain we see is that which brings forth vegeta- vegetation. That particular symbol is identified for us in Hebrews chapter 6. Brings forth vegetation, brings forth fruit. The early church was given the information, the early rains. When it all comes together, it's the latter rains. And it's telling us that everything is getting ready to happen because one of these days there's going to be a harvest. We took a look at the harvest in Revelation 14. The last six verses of that, there are two harvests that are mentioned. The first harvest, the reaper swings his sickle over the earth, it says, and the earth was reaped. Now that's a picture of the rapture. That's where he pulls out the righteous and he leaves the wicked for the tribulational period. The next time you see the reaper, he swings his sickle into the earth and the earth was reaped. And that's where he takes out the wicked and leaves the righteous for the millennial kingdom. In typical Jewish thought, he puts puts together a topic, the reapings, and he puts them together in in a paragraph right next to each other to tell us there are two different events that are going to happen. They're going to be viewed as reapings. So we find this application whether we're in our time frame, the coming of the Lord, or in the tribulational time frame, be patient, especially toward people. And you'll find out that's a real easy way to uh, 
impatience toward people, that's a real hard test to pass. Uh, even the greedy rich. The Lord is merciful and gracious. The point, learn from the farmer. We saw that last week. Be patient. Plant the stuff and wait. And some of us need to stay away from it. But the farmer that is good knows what they're doing. They're able to tend the soil, tend the plants, get the right water at the right time. Be patient. Verse 8, how long are we supposed to be patient? You too, be patient. See, that's where he brings it down. James is addressing the last days, and then he brings it back to the first century. You too, be patient. Makrothumeo, aorist imperative. That's the patience toward people. Be patient. Strengthen. Now here is another command found here. Strengthen is sterizo. We get steroid from it. <coughs> the English word means to make strong. It's another aorist imperative. The aorist says point of time. Only you do it consistently. It's called a constative aorist. Active voice says you initiate it. Okay? The Lord will give you opportunities to be strong, but you have to use those opportunities to be strong. We get put through testing. We get put through all kinds of things to make us stronger. And he says, and the active, you do it. The imperative, it's a command. So these are not designed as optional parts of the Christian life. Be patient toward people. Strengthen your hearts. Now, <clears throat> Your heart, out of the heart of man come evil thoughts, murders, adulteries, all those bad things. What is, does it mean strengthen that? No, it means strengthen the character, strengthen the battling of those things. Strengthen yourself in this angelic conflict we find ourselves in. For the parousia, the coming of the Lord is near. And again, the parousia is to be alongside. It literally looks at the arrival not the act. The arrival of the Lord is near. This word, agizo, is used. It's a perfect tense. Now, the perfect tense says it's a completed action with results that go on. And what has he just done? When you find these phrases, the coming of the Lord is near, you look at the context and what you'll find as a rule is new information given. And James 5 is new information about the coming of the Lord, about the super rich of the last days, about the withholding of the pay of the laborers in the field. New information. So it, it says literally, has drawn near. The coming of the Lord has drawn near. How did it draw near? It drew near spiritually. Didn't mean it necessarily in time, but it drew near spiritually via the new information. So, <clears throat> now, one day the coming of the Lord will be physical. One day he's going to come back in the sky as he left. The trumpet is going to sound, the voice of an archangel, and we're going to exit out of here. One day it's going to be phys physical. But until then, we're supposed to learn patience toward people. Um, and I don't even know where to start with examples. When I run into this patience toward people, you know, do, I know none of you are ever tested by people. Um, one of the, the, the backdoor jokes 
for those in full-time ministry as ministry be great if it wasn't for the people. And so you have to kind of, okay, what people will test you. That's who they are. Family members will test you. Uh, uh, spouse will test you. You'll get te- we'll get tested. See, tests and temptations are all that, that can be taken either way. Whenever we face a set of circumstances, we can see it as a test, which it is, or a temptation to do the wrong thing. Test to do the right thing, temptation to do the wrong thing. But we're called to learn patience toward people. Now, how are our hearts strengthened? You two be patient. Why? Strengthen your hearts. How are they strengthened? They are strengthened through love. From 1 Thessalonians, the third chapter... And verses 11 to 13, which says, Now may our God and Father, Himself, and Jesus our Lord direct our way to you. And may the Lord cause you to increase and abound in love for one another. Now this is a fascinating phrase here, because when Paul opens up this epistle, he commends them on their faith, hope, and love. Yeah, that's what he did. First Thessalonians 1, verse 3 to 5. And then he says, you're a model church. Why? Because of faith, hope, and love. Nothing to do with the structure, the size, anything else. Faith, hope, and love of those people that are a part of it. And he says, now, I want you to increase. So no matter where our faith is, it can be made stronger. No matter how strong our hope is, our confident expectation about the future, it can get more solid And no matter where our love is, it can keep growing. It can keep abounding. He says, your love for one another. That's the church at Thessalonica he's talking to. But then he says, and for all people. Now that's one of those things that love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And you're going, well, I do it fairly well, but not all, all the time. Well, that's what the command is. But here is... (coughs) The, um, he says, just as we also do for you. So we need to develop a love for the lost. Not because they're lost. We want to get them the gospel. That's what, what it comes to. He says, why do you do this? So that he may establish your hearts. Didn't he say, strengthen your hearts? First Thessalonians says that he may establish your hearts. How? Without blame. In holiness before our God and Father at the coming, parousia, of our Lord Jesus with all his saints. What a powerful message that is. Found in James to begin with around 46 A.D., 1 Thessalonians around 51 A.D., James writes something, Paul writes something, they, they coordinate with each other, they coincide. It's not Jamesian theology versus Pauline theology, it is God's theology, because he does not put together contradictions. He gives us information, and he often has two or three witnesses attest to a given fact. So, James and Paul already. The coming of the Lord's often used to refer to both the rapture and the second advent. Now, the full coming alongside in the arrival and the presence of him on earth is second advent. 
Okay, that's what it is. But frequently it's used to the coming of the Lord when he swings his sickle over the earth and the earth is reaped and all the righteous are taken out. The restrainers, we were visiting about that earlier, when the restrainer is gone, when the restrainer is gone, can you imagine what's going to happen to this earth? When you start pulling it out of there, the restrainer, I thought I heard a thing the other day, the Notre Dame Cathedral burned down, and and it burned down, and so now they're going to turn the Notre Dame Cathedral into basically a woke Disneyland. Is what the uh, intent is, and you're thinking, this cathedral that has been there for hundreds of years, and they said the reason is because Christianity is basically done in Europe. Basically done. So, there's no more use for it anymore. So they're going to convert it to something else. A lot of these old churches have been converted into mosques in other parts of the world. Now, is Christianity just getting old hat? No longer relevant? Well, a lot of a lot of people are even walking away from it here because uh, they don't see exactly what they want to see. They've looked to God to and like he was a genie and he didn't provide stuff genies provide. And so then they start looking for another God. And it may just be them. All believers from the first advent to the second advent have important instructions to fulfill. All the way from the time Christ was first here, according to this passage, until he comes back at the second advent, the instruction has be patient. Be patient, especially toward people. Some during that time will say that he's not coming back. Second Peter chapter 3. Now, what is sad to me is that this is happening in evangelical Christianity. This is happening in evangelical Christianity. And 2 Peter 3, verse 3, turn there with me if you want to. The, um, Peter is writing here, and he says, Know this first of all, that in the last days mockers will come with their mocking, following after their own lust. See, so they are driven by their innate desires. They are driven by their animal instincts or whatever you want to put with it. That's what is driving them. And they're saying, where is the promise of his coming? For ever since the fathers fell asleep, all continues just as it was from the beginning of creation. Now see what that entails who believes that everything continues as it was from the beginning of his creation basically slowly evolving that's evolutionary theory God has interjected catastrophes into uh, the history of the world at different points in time that's what he has done and changed everything and he says when they maintain this it escapes their notice that by the word of God the heavens existed Long ago, and the earth was formed out of water and by water. Now see, that's a picture of the flood. When the flood is a global flood, like the Bible describes, when a flood is a global flood, it it does, floods do damage. 
Uh, I know some of you have seen it firsthand. <laughs> We've, we saw it up in Bartlesville, America, up there back in 1986, and it was, um, uh, it was something else. The Carols can tell you about what two inches of water will do in a mobile home. It will take everything in a mobile home and turn it upside down and throw it. It's amazing what two inches of water can do inside of that. One house, one of our deacon's houses up there, he built, he's a builder, they built 18 inches above the 100-year floodplain. So we know that slab was above the 100-year floodplain. And he had six feet of water in his house. Now that was the flood. And what it did to Bartlesville took years to recover from. It was absolutely amazing. So now fill up the whole planet. Fill up the whole planet with water. And then watch what happens when it starts receding. Because it will carve valleys, gorges, caves, canyons. It has the full capability to do that. It is not a problem at all for it to do that. And it shaped it out of water by water. Through which the world at that time was destroyed, being flooded with water, in case you missed it. What did it say again? New Testament, the world was destroyed. Not just a little piece of land out there by Mount Ararat in Turkey. It was not just a flooding of the Black Sea that, uh, that messed things up. It covered the tallest mountain, is what it said. And then mountains also rose up out of that. So you have a massive destructive event that we know as the flood of Noah. And he says, By his word, the present heavens and earth are being reserved for fire, kept for the day of judgment and destruction of ungodly men. Now what did this just tell us? Just because you see the Lord has not come back. When did Peter write this? About 30 years after Christ ascended to the heavens. When did, about 30 years. And people are already saying, where is he? Why didn't he come back? Why didn't he come back? And Peter is inspired to write this. And here we are 2,000 years later. And people who once believed that the Lord would come back and get us in the air, now they're abandoning that and calling that allegory. That when Jesus comes back, he's going to come back into the hearts of men. He's not going to literally come back. And they are moving away to allegory. Basically, Reformed theology that says there is no dispensations, there is no uh, rapture. The tribulation is just a big allegorical picture of what goes on throughout humanity for all of time. And somewhere we're going to continue our evolution into the future, into the ages of the ages. Well, that's not what the book says. So if you're not going to pay attention to what the book says, you have to either say it is of no value or you have to allegorize it. Now, it's, it's happened. There's been Baptist preachers, pre-tribbers, leave and write books about how he's no longer a dispensationalist, why he's no longer this. But if that, I believe if they ever understood all of the details, or not just all the details, if they ever understood the basic uh, revelation concerning the tribulation that they would say it's all come together it's all come together without Israel there's no rapture but Israel's back now you have to have all the players in the right spot in the first century there was not 200 million people alive on the earth according to anthropologists much less a 200 million man army 
you have to be able to take arrows and shoot them from one country into another country. They have to be on fire and they have to have the capability of smashing people into pieces. Arrows pierce. Arrows don't smash. When the language is, is read, now we have for the first time in history the capability for that to happen. Two guys are killed, lay in the streets of Jerusalem for three and a half days, and it says the whole world watches. How could the whole world watch? There couldn't even be a portion of Jerusalem watch them at that time without the advent of something special like television, satellites, all those other things. See, if you believe in a literal interpretation, it's coming together. Every single part of it is coming together. So he says, be patient. Jesus is already drawn near one time. Second Peter 1.16. We're going to go back a couple of chapters. He says, we did not follow cleverly devised tales. This is Peter and the apostles. We did not follow cleverly devised tales when we made known to you the power and the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, the parousia, when he was alongside at the first advent, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. This is first advent. So parousia, being alongside, is used of the first advent, it's used of the rapture, and it's used of the second advent as well. Now, he's already drawn near one time. So to say he couldn't do that really doesn't make any sense. He's still near, and we come to know that when the morning star arises in our hearts, uh, and we know that when the morning star arises in our hearts, and it can happen during any time frame. Now, the morning star rising in your heart, <clears throat> really, as you see the next point, Jesus is the morning star. We read that in Revelation 22:16, first session. But 2 Peter 1:19, he says, "We have the prophetic word made more sure." What do you mean? The prophecies <clears throat> of the first advent. Uh, <clears throat> we kind of changed the <clears throat> agenda meeting meeting agenda around last night for the Christmas party. One thing is going to happen is I was going to talk about the prophecies of the first advent. Huh. Were there prophecies about Jesus at the first advent? Well, let's see. First of all, in Genesis 3.15, there's a promised seed of the woman. Well, the seed comes from the man, not the woman. So it said to Adam and Eve, it's an unusual birth that is going to happen. When Eve gave birth... She said, I've got a, a man, the Lord, literally is what it says in the Hebrew. She thought she'd got the Lord, the one that was promised, the promised seed of the woman. As it went on through time in Isaiah 7:14, it says, Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bring forth a son, and you shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. Isaiah 9, 6 goes on to say, A child shall be born to us, and the government shall rest on his shoulders. He shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. Wow. Isaiah. For those that didn't understand it, God became man. He shall be called 
Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. How about Isaiah 11.1? He shall come forth from the stem of Jesse. How about Isaiah chapter 53? The suffering servant. He would die on a cross. He would suffer literally two deaths. And usually translate only a singular uh, there in Isaiah 53. But he says he was known with a rich man in his deaths. He died spiritually on the cross to pay for our sins. He died physically on the cross a little bit later. <coughs> I believe that took care of his of the sin nature. And Micah 4.2, Bethlehem was even prophesied. We open up to Micah 4 and we go, how did they get he was going to be born there? You know, the rabbis knew that. <coughs> The rabbi somehow knew that, probably revealed by one of the prophets early on, <clears throat> Messiah would be born in Bethlehem. We not, might not be able to grasp it, but they had a grasp of what it was. So <clears throat> when Peter says, we have the prophetic word made more sure, he's saying, look at all these prophecies that have already been fulfilled. There's so many of them. That is beyond the laws of probability they could have happened by chance. There were so many things that the Lord did that were not under his control to do. Could not have happened by chance. And Peter says we have it more sure. To which you would do well to pay attention as a lamp shining in a dark place. Till the day dawns, this morning of, of uh, enlightenment to you. And the morning star rises in your hearts. Now Jesus is the morning star. So it's kind of like one day you as a believer grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. And you wake up and go, what a deal. What a man. God became man. And you start to really appreciate who he is. God in the flesh that dwelt among us. Glory is the only begotten of the Father. Full of grace and truth. He's the morning star. So the point to this, because these are commands, is make patience toward people a priority. <clears throat> a lot of ways to do that. You can go test yourself. Just go to the Walmart parking lot and look for a space close to Walmart, to the front door. A lot of ways that you can do that. And you say, I don't like to test myself. Well, I don't, nobody likes to test, test themselves, but that's how you grow. You've got to have exercise, not just physical exercise, spiritual exercise. We've got to exercise the way we think. We've got to test the way we think. We have to be able to discern and look at things and try to figure them out and then deal with them all in grace. That's what patience is about. See, patience, this is from Joyce Meyer, patience is not the ability to wait, but how you act while you're waiting. Okay? Sometimes you can pace and still be calm. Okay? And you're still being patient. But other times you can sit still and not be patient at all. <laughs> it's just you're waiting. But the attitude hasn't gotten, gotten right up here. So make patience toward people a priority. And when it's so easy to come down on them. See, this, this is an instruction given for the entirety of the church all the way through the tribulation. That's what it is. What is the, let's see, what's the fruit of the Spirit? Love, joy, peace, patience. Oh, what about love is in 1 Corinthians 13? Love is 
patient. See how important that is? It moves right up to the top of the list. Strengthen your resolve to do the right thing, waiting for the Lord's return. See, 2 Timothy 3, in the last days, difficult times will come. We're familiar with that. Men will be lovers of self, lovers of money, boastful, arrogant, revilers, disobedient to parents, ungrateful and unholy. Last days. That's not all the list, by the way. That's just the warm-up. That's the audience warm-up for the rest of the list found in 2 Timothy chapter 3. But strengthen your resolve. We want to live a life that is, that is character-based, based on what God defines as character. And that's what we're called to do. Now, verse 9, isn't this a fun time? Apply the royal law. We know the royal law. You shall love your neighbors yourself. Right? We, most of us taught that while we were kids, usually in regard to a brother or sister that we had, occasionally a cousin. But usually that's what we run into, that we have to apply the royal law in our everyday life. Do not complain. That's the way the English writes it. <clears throat> this is a weak negative may with the present imperative of, of the word stenazo. And it is uh, uh, may with a present imperative is stop it. <laughs> it's not just uh, stop. It is, is not just do not complain ever. It's stop it. So it basically assumes that we are complaining <laughs> to begin with. And it says stop it. And then don't start it again. Say so if you're if you're into it, stop it. Do not complain and stop complaining, brethren, against one another, fellow believers, so that you yourselves may not be judged. Hmm. Behold, two commands in this particular verse: stop complaining is the first one. Second one is behold, harao. Take a good long look at something. The judge is standing right at the door. Who's the real judge in all this thing? See, it, it's so easy to be judgmental. Knowledge makes arrogant, but love edifies. Arrogance often is judgmental. And it can be great harm to people that are trying to learn. So we don't want to be on that end of elitism if you will, that know it all, that we, we've got all the answers and everything else, and if you don't agree with us, you're just stupid. Now, <clears throat> this says, stop complaining against other people, other believers, especially brethren. Now, the exhortation is to not be like the world and complain. Philippians 2.14 is a verse that, that uh, contextually is if you understand the context of it, you'll go, Lord, I don't ever need to complain again about anybody, anything, anywhere. I don't need to do that. Now, we do because our sin nature likes to do it. Okay, That's what we do. So we catch it, try to make the adjustment, get back on, on track. Philippians 2.14. He starts in verse 1. If there's any fellowship of the Spirit, it's, it's a beautiful opening up. Uh, not if, but since there is a fellowship of the Spirit. And then he says, Make my joy complete, being in the same mind with one another, 
Considering other people more important than yourself. Philippians 2.3 Not looking out for them alone, but also for yourself. Okay, The caregiver has got to take care of themselves. That's what it is. Verse 5, though, shifts to something that is absolutely a royal standard. <clears throat> it says, have this attitude in yourselves that was also in Christ Jesus. Now, the verses that follow have generated volumes and volumes of theology books. And they generate them on what is called the doctrine of kenosis, which is the Greek word for the emptying out of Jesus Christ. How he voluntarily chose not to use his divine attributes as God during this time on earth. But he says that the command is, have this attitude in yourselves that was also in Christ Jesus who although existed in the form of God did not regard equality with God a thing to be held on to but he emptied himself he took on the form of a bondservant being made in the likeness of men and he humbled himself to death even death on a cross that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow now that's leading up to this verse and then in verse 14 what does it say? Stop complaining against one another. Do all things without grumbling, grumbling, literally. Now what is our context there? What Jesus did without grumbling. When he took our place on a cross. That's hard to even grasp, isn't it? That is hard to even grasp. You'd have thought somewhere, this is unfair. You'd have thought somewhere, and he knew it was unfair. But he had everything in perfect control. He knew it was unfair. He knew that it was prophesied. He knew it was going to happen. He knew what he was getting ready to face. And he still walked through the valley of the shadow of death. And it says, while being reviled, he did not revile in return. Peter writes that in 1 Peter 2. So here is this amazing, do all things without grumbling. And part of the context there is, what happened to the Jews out in the desert? Two and a half million people walked out of Egypt, miraculously delivered. Not one of them died on the way coming out. But they died in the desert. Why? Grumbling. All they did was complain. And he took them out and let their kids have the land. That's what he did. Those who suffer injustice and oppression often lash out at those whom are closest and dearest to them and not directly involved. That's oftentimes the way we process things. <clears throat> things aren't going our way, so we get mad. We get mad at somebody, but we're not, we're not going to tell the boss off, so we kick the dog. You know, that's what had things get in the way. That stupid dog, that stupid cat, whatever it is, no matter what happens, we, we unleash at the wrong people. It happens within families. Mom's had a rough day, dad's had a rough day and somebody comes home and oh here it goes. Once again we have to have time to drop back, sit down get ourselves right with the Lord you got to get this right or you never get this right. Undeserved suffering does not give us the right to violate the royal law. It just doesn't. 
Sometimes we think, well, it's an excuse. You know, it is an excuse. But it's not permission. It's not permission. It is an excuse. Complaining is an indication <coughs> of failing to meet the first command given in the book of James. Huh. Consider it all joy <laughs> when you encounter various trials. So that's failing to meet it. Because what <laughs> these trials, these tests, these things that come along, they're here to test us. But obviously, if we complain, we're not considering it all joy when we do it. I, I know it's so easy. Thing I, I, When I get something, a thing that is supposed to work to do a particular job and it doesn't do the job. I don't know if you've ever had one of those. You have a screwdriver and you take the screwdriver and you put it in the, the head of a screw. And the, either the screw twists off made in China, or the head of the screwdriver twists off. <laughs> okay? What are, and then it is so easy to throw those things many yards at one time just because they didn't do the job that they did. But so those are the things we just need to back off a little bit, wait, a, and, and that's part of getting a self-discipline to get control. Where do we get the self-discipline from? Fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, goodness, self-control. We go back. Holy Spirit, I need a little help today. Okay? I need a little bit of help before I stick a screwdriver in the wall. I just... Help me here. The judge is indeed near. Nothing is gone unnoticed. See what that passage said? He's near. When did James write this? 46. When did Peter write that second Peter? 64. So 18 years later, here's Peter writing, false prophets arose among the people, just like there'll be false teachers among you who will secretly introduce destructive heresies, even denying the master who bought them, bringing swift destruction upon themselves. Many will follow their sensuality. It's because of them the way of truth the way of the truth will be maligned. And in their greed they will exploit you with false words. Their judgment from long ago is not idle. Nor is their destruction asleep. Lord knows what's going on. Whenever he's called long-suffering and patient in the Old Testament. He's, many of the Psalms talk about the long-suffering of the Lord. Oftentimes it's the Hebrew word kesed. Hesed. It's the word, beautiful word. It means literally a loyal love. A loyal love. It's a close love, but it's a loyalty that goes with it. And how we handle the pressure, that's part of our living letter. 2 Corinthians 3.3, 3, we are a living letter to be read by all. So the principle, we find the first one, command, don't complain against other believers. Okay. Stop complaining against other believers. Um, I saw this little sign. Spending today complaining about yesterday won't make tomorrow any better. Not a bad bad thing. Want to start making tomorrow better? Start making today better. And the next one is to realize the Lord is ready to judge. Just waiting for the right day and the right 
hour. He's ready to judge, waiting for the right day and the right hour. Now, <clears throat> I think you run out of notes, right? What, a whole verse ago? No. <laughs> right now. Okay. That's good. The, um, the next verse, he says, as an example... As an example, we need to look at patience and the prophets. Hupodegma is the word here used for, uh, I'll put this all in the notes for next week, so don't worry if you don't get it written down. But it is, uh, as an example, brethren of suffering. Now, the, the example degma means it has been struck by something and made an imprint or a mark in hupo under. So being struck under something, and that's called an example. And it's uh, the word suffering is actually the word kakopathia. Now, pathia is a word that, that means suffer or um, pathos is what it, what it is. Kakos on the front of it is inherent evil. Okay, so did the prophet suffer any inherent evil? Well, Jesus was a prophet, and we know what he suffered. Okay, did Moses suffer any inherent evil? Well, yeah, he did. Let's see, seemed like his brother and sister both got involved in it one time. He was the object of scorn and ridicule. He was a type of Christ. We know a lot of the prophets suffered evil. And patience. This is patience toward people. This is our word. This is what he'd been telling us to have. And then he says, take, receive in the sense of consider. Consider the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. Consider them. And as you go back through the prophets, you find every one of them suffered evil. What about Elijah? Did he suffer evil at the hands of, of uh, Jezebel and Ahab? Yep, part of it he did, and then he failed the test. We talked about that a week or two ago. He just decided he was going to go take off and run a marathon, and he ran 26 miles and got out of the way and hid out. I am only I am left, Lord. And the Lord, it's... I like the way Lord answers stuff like that occasionally. Oh, shut up. (laughs) (laughs) You and 6,000 more have not bowed the knee to Baal. Okay? You're not alone, Elijah. But he thought he was. Other prophets suffering evil? Oh, man, you can go to Jeremiah. You can go to Isaiah. You can look at the, uh, Daniel. What about getting thrown in a lion's den? Would you consider that good? Now, it worked out good, didn't it? But that's not something you'd think, well, I don't want to be dinner for these these creatures here. And you look at uh, Ezekiel, uh, Hosea, I mean, you name it. And he says, consider these people that spoke in the name of the Lord. So you prepare yourself. You prepare yourself for persecution. You prepare yourself for what, what people are going to say. But by the power of the Almighty, we can be gracious, we can be kind, we can be gentle, love is patient, kind, gentle, does not take into account a wrong suffered by the power of the Almighty. This can be who we are. And this should be who we want to be. 
not what the world thinks we should be, but what God wants us to be. Let's pray. Thank you, Father, again for this day, for your love and mercy and grace, for all your blessings and all your tests. Father, you have set in front of us a high standard. You've called us to be like our Lord Jesus Christ. And Father, you've called us to be perfect as you are perfect. And Father, we know we are have fallen way, way short. But Father, you have called us to high ideal. And you will one day complete what you have started in us. So that we may have a fellowship that is beyond description in human terms. One of these days forevermore. And Father, we look forward to that. We look forward to being able to spend this time with you, to spend this time with those who have gone before and lit the way. Father, we pray we'll be one of those like that, for we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.